Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I invite you please to pray with me. Father, again, uh, our desire is to hear whatever you have to say to us. We know that everything that Jesus says to us, he says with love. And so we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that we might receive that love. We might hear what you are saying. We pray that you would help me to speak clearly and faithfully. That together we, your people, would more and more become the people, the family that you have created us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how is this all going to end? I mean, how is the world all going to end? We know that in this world, everything has an ending point, nothing lasts forever. How, how do you think it's going to end? I mean, T.S. Eliot famously said, this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Is that how it's going to end? Scientists will tell you that this sun that we get all of our life from has only so many billions of years before it runs out of fuel and then it will just be done and then this earth will no longer be anything. Is that how it's going to end? Others who are more pessimistic about how we're doing as a society say that really long before that we'll find a way to destroy each other, whether it's through climate change or whether it's through some sort of nuclear meltdown. Is, is that how the world is going to end? How is it all going to end? Well, we see in the passage that was just read, Jesus' answer. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory 
and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Jesus is speaking to his disciples just a few days before he goes to the cross. And it's as he, he is speaking that he's preparing the disciples, causing them to kind of look beyond to the time when everything will be over. And he says, there will come a day, and he's looking beyond his death, he looks beyond his resurrection, he's looking beyond even his ascension, and even beyond the time that he sends his disciples in the church throughout the world so that everyone hears about him. But he says that there's going to be a day when he returns, and when he comes back, it will not be like a child, you know, coming as a baby like he first did, but he will come in glory. With, with such glory, such brilliance, such loudness, such shaking of the earth, that even those angels that come that normally are so terrifying to people, they will look tame in comparison to this great and glorious king, and everyone will fall down before him. And he will sit on his throne. So we're in this period of Lent over the next few weeks as we're kind of ourselves preparing for, for considering specifically Jesus' death and resurrection. And so in these weeks, even as Jesus sought to prepare his disciples before going to the cross to be ready for the end, we ourselves for these next few weeks are going to be listening to some of the things that Jesus says so that we can think, what does it mean to be ready? How is the world going to end and how can we be ready? And here's what Jesus says in our passage this morning. He says, when I come again, when I sit on my throne, there will be a sorting. When I was uh, in college, I took a class on persuasion. And uh, one of the things that we had as an assignment was we were supposed to write a recommendation for someone hypothetically as if you know, we were recommending them for a position or for a school rule or something like that. And so after we had our assignment, we came back. He had each of us read that recommendation for the class to hear. And then whenever we were done reading, he would then put us on one side of the class or the other, the, the left or the right. And we were just kind of, and we had no idea why he was doing it. We kept on wondering after each one, where is he going to put them? Where is he going to put them? And eventually he explained, so these recommendations are good, these are not so good, and he explained the reason being that these talk about tangible experiences where this is just flowery language. He, he sorted us based on that. Well, Jesus says, when I sit on my throne, there will be a sorting. And he says in verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. So shepherds in that day generally would have both sheep and goats in their flocks, and rarely would they really need to separate them. They would just keep them as one kind of combined, huddled group. But sometimes when it got cold in the evening, see, sheep like to be more by themselves, but goats, because they don't have quite the same level of, of wool, like to be gathered together. So the shepherds would then have to finally take these intermingled animals and, and put sheep on one side and put, you know, like the goats on the other side. And Jesus says, that's what's going to happen on the last day. It will be a sorting. And he invites us to imagine us being in this moment where we are surrounded by a sea of people, as far as the eye can see, from every country, from every nation, just crowds upon crowds, an unimaginably large number and he instructs the angels, and the angels start dividing every person 
into two groups. A group on his right hand, and the right hand was traditionally seen as the place of favor, and a group on the left hand. He says there will be a sorting, and you will find yourself in one of those two groups. And that sorting is of unimaginably, inexpressibly enormous significance. Because here's what he says. He says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From before this world was even made, God had already set in his sights a plan for where the world would go and how all suffering would be removed and how there would be joy and creativity and love and delight. And Jesus says to this group, now it's time for you to enjoy this. And notice it says, you will inherit this. Who who inherits anything? It's the heir, right? And the heir, especially in that time, was the descendant. Jesus is saying, you're blessed by my Father. You are my family. You have an inheritance. Let's enjoy this kingdom together. All of the waiting, the longing, the suffering, the loneliness, the unfulfilled desires are over. Your wait has come to an end. Enjoy this peace and joy of the world that God has planned from before even he began this world. And then, and he speaks to the group on his left. And it says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. If the group on his right is his family, he's saying, you are my brothers, you are children of God. The group on his left, he says, you are my enemies, you are cursed. If the group on the right is going to the place prepared for God's family, the group on the left is going to the place also prepared prepared for his enemies, the place of fire for the demons. At the very end of the passage is described as giving eternal life and giving eternal punishment. There will be a sorting, Jesus says in the last day. And that sorting will be into only two groups. There will not be a middle ground. You will find yourself either in the family of God filled with joy and blessing or the enemies of Jesus filled with terror. And the consequences will not only be significant, but they will be irreversible. Those who receive life Receive eternal life. It will never be lost. But those who receive punishment will receive eternal punishment. It will never be reversed. This is a tough passage. I mean, it's a tough truth. This is, for me, one of the hardest truths in all of Scripture. I've, I've heard it said, and I think this is right, that if we really believe that God's understanding is so far beyond ours, we should expect to find places in the Bible that we're uncomfortable, that don't make sense to us, because God is so much greater than we are. And this is one of those places for me. The, the idea of, of finding yourself 
And the group on the left of Jesus on that last day is, is, is too horrific for me to even be able to consider at length. But I will say this, and that is, if we really believe that we are people who are given choices, if we believe that we are morally responsible creatures, and that this isn't all just a a play, but we actually make decisions that have consequences, then it seems that there must come a time where our decisions finally must land, where we must have decided who we are, the kind of people we are going to be. And Jesus says, yes, there will be that time. There will be the time when I come again, when I sit on my throne, and the time for deciding is over and the decisions will be final. There will be a sorting, Jesus says, of extraordinary and permanent significance. And of course, as we think about this, the most natural question, the obvious question to ask is how can we be certain that we are in that group that's on the right? I mean, again, it's it's obvious. I mean, you could live miserably in this life. You could do everything wrong. You could be poor in school. You could bankrupt yourself financially. You could have a terrible job of knowing how to make relationships. But if on that last day you hear, come blessed by my Father, all of that will be forgotten and you will be filled with joy. Or on the other hand, you could do this life incredibly. You could earn billions of dollars, admired by everyone, enjoying everything this world has to offer. But if you find out in the last day that you are experiencing eternal punishment, all of that will be found to be empty. I mean, some of us who are working, we're, we're thinking already, how do I prepare for my retirement? How do I make sure that in the last two or three decades of my life, I have enough so that it's not a really difficult time. And that's right for us to think about. But how often do we think about not the, the next 20 years, but the next 20 billion years? And the next 20 billion years after that? And the next 20 billion years after that? There will be a sorting. How do we know that we will be in that that family of of blessedness? How do we know that we will be part of Jesus' family and not one of his enemies? That's, That's the question that we are meant to be asking as we're hearing this. And really, Scripture again and again answers this, and there's a number of different ways it's answered, all of them true, but I think the answer that Jesus gives us here is surprising. And here's what he says. He says, here's how you can know whether you are part of my family. Those who are part of my family treat my family like family. Those who are part of my family treat my family like family. Because here's what he says. So right after, he says to the people on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says, For, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, let me just pause and ask you, who is it in your life right now that you know you would treat in this way? That if they have a need, if they are without clothing, you know that you would give them clothes. If they were without food, you know that you would give them food. If they were in prison, you know that they would visit you. If we think for just a moment, we know the answer. It's family, right? You know that if someone in your family, your child or your spouse 
or maybe even a sibling or your parent, if someone was in great need, they are family and you will do what it takes even if it's really costing you. Jesus is saying to this group on his right, you have treated me like family. And that makes sense. You are part of my family, and one of the ways that we can see clearly that you are part of my family is you have treated me like family. You have loved me sacrificially. And, and, and then, of course, we see the people are, are rather confused. It says, when? When did we treat you, Jesus, like family? When, when were you in need and we cared for you? And, and here's Jesus' response. He says, the king will answer them, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now let me say, this is a passage um, that is often misinterpreted a little bit. Oftentimes this verse is meant, is understood by some to be saying that anyone in the world that we show kindness to, Jesus is saying, you're showing kindness to me. And let me say that there are other places in Scripture that really clearly call us to be a neighbor to whomever. Whoever's in need, it doesn't matter. A good Samaritan, if we can be a neighbor to someone in need, that is what it means to be a Christian. That's what it looks like to show mercy. But I want to suggest that while that is clearly a theme in Scripture, that we are called to love whoever is in need, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because do you notice what he actually said? As you did it to one of the least of these... My brothers, you did for me. My brothers, whatever you did to my brothers. And I point that out because Jesus consistently, when he speaks of his brothers, he's talking about believers. So a year or so earlier, when Jesus was uh, preaching and his biological family, his mom and some of his siblings came to try to pull him out, and they said, and someone told Jesus, hey, your family's here. Jesus, who's my family? My family are, are these. The ones who do the will of God are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. And then later on, after Jesus rises from the dead in, in Matthew, we see Matthew, we see Jesus telling, um, certain, you know, telling as Mary Magdalene as she sees the risen Jesus, he says, Go tell my brothers to go with me to Galilee. And again, he's talking about disciples. See, what, what Jesus is saying here in our passage is that he is so closely connected, so intimately united with the believers in him, he loves them so deeply that when you do something to one of them, it is as if you are doing it to Jesus himself. And this is actually a theme that we see repeated throughout the scriptures. Um, he'll say earlier in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples, whoever receives you, receives me. Because he's sending the disciples out and said, whoever receives you, you're, they're receiving me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you hear that? He's saying... I'm sending you out, and anyone who receives one of you, it's like they're receiving me. And if they give you a cup of water, it's like they're giving a cup of water to me. Or, or decades later, 
when Saul, the persecutor of Christians, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life has changed, what does Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting all those Christians? No. He says, why are you persecuting me? Because when you do these things to my family, you are doing it to me. Now that's a remarkable thing. I know we're talking about sorting, and we'll get back to that in a moment, but just think about this for a moment. Some of you I know have experienced terrible things at the hands of other people. People have been cruel to you. You have experienced abuse, sometimes from unbelievers, but sometimes from people who claim to be believers. And, and I want you to understand, when they were doing this, they weren't just doing it to you. They were doing this to Jesus. Because Jesus himself says, that's the way that I love you. Whatever happens to one of you, it's like it's happening to me. In fact, that's where Jesus goes, doesn't he, in the next part of this passage. What does Jesus say to those people who are on his left? He says, after he says, depart from me, you're cursed. He says, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. And he goes on and says, all of the things, I was in need and you did nothing. And they also are bewildered. When did we see you and not not care for you? And Jesus' response is, I tell you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. If you see a believer in need and you have opportunity to help them and your heart is hardened, you are turning your back not just on them, but on me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying... If you want to know what your relationship to me will be on that last day, one of the best ways to answer that question is to look about what your relationship are to my people on this day. Because those who are part of my family will treat my family like family. This is not the only place we see this. This is something that we see elsewhere. John explains this more to us in 1 John. He says in 1 John 3.10, this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Now here, there's a sorting here. There's two groups, those who can be spoken of as the children of God and those who can be spoken of as the children of the devil. He says, this is how they become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. How do we see which group you're a part of? Whoever does not love his brother cannot be of God. And then he goes on in, verse, in the following verses. We know that we have passed from death to life. In other words, here's how we know we've been changed by Jesus. Because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. This is how we have come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Do you see what he's saying? When we become Christians, it's not just a change in our opinion. There's a deeper change that takes place. There's an awareness of God's love, of what it means that though we are sinners, Jesus died for us to bring about forgiveness. 
that is so powerful, it brings us, in a sense, from death to life. We are born again, we are told, in such a way that now, as John just says, the love of God resides in us. It takes its home in our hearts. And when that happens, it gives us a new disposition, a new power. It changes us so that we begin to love in a way that we did not love before. We begin to love Jesus in a way that we didn't before. And we begin to love his family in a way that we didn't before. Now, Understand, this is not either Jesus in the passage of Matthew or John saying that here's how we earn our way into the family of God. Here's how we gain acceptance. Start loving people and that will fix it. It's the other way around. Jesus and John both are saying, when you have truly come to understand the love of God in a way that has changed you, it will make you, it will lead you to loving others. And if you aren't loving the people of God, that is a sign that there is something wrong, that things haven't yet changed in the way that they're supposed to. You can know which of these two groups you are in by the question of how you relate to the family of God. Because those who belong to the family of Jesus will treat his family like family. I've heard it said, and probably you have heard it too, Someone say, you know, I, I, I love God, I love Jesus, it's just, it's the church that I can't stand. And I think we see from this passage that Jesus would not accept that. He would say, how can you love me if you do not love the people I love so deeply? How can you claim to be part of my family if you do not love my family? I once knew a man who, who loved theology. He would read book after book, and he would talk about the things of God and, and how it meant things to him and he, as he experienced his own spiritual experience. But when he started talking about the church, suddenly his demeanor would change, and there would be cynicism and condescension and, and no affection for the people of God and no desire to give himself in service to them. And in hindsight, I wish I had confronted that. I mean, I don't know. I obviously cannot look into the soul of a person. But I wish I had somehow spoken to the person saying, there's, there's got to be something wrong here. There is a disconnect. Brother, I feel like there's a way where the love of God hasn't yet done its work in your soul. I wish I had encouraged him to pray about this very passage which says, if you are part of the family of Jesus, you are going to treat his family like family. You are going to love the church. Now, I can't speak to him right now, but I know that my calling is to speak to us. And so let me ask you, are you finding yourself in a similar place where where you might be fine with God, but you just feel, if you're honest, very little commitment to the people of God, fairly little love or affection? If you do, my guess is this passage is is making you go, okay, I've got to do something different about this. And let me encourage you not to do the superficial thing of just saying, I'm going to try harder to start loving people. I want to encourage you to go deeper than that. Because if it's the case that you really find yourself without love towards the people of God, it could mean probably one of three things. It could just mean that you are an immature Christian. That is, 
that even as you've experienced the love of Christ, it's just beginning to do its work on you, and it hasn't yet worked its way out in the way that it will one time soon. Or it could mean that you are spiritually sick. That is, there are times that we can get so battered by life, we can get so overwhelmed by anxiety or exhaustion, that at some point we forget what it means that we are loved. We forget the reality that we are in Christ, loved by him and forgiven by him. And when we forget that, it is like our soul becomes a shell without any love. Or it may well mean that you are not yet born again. That though you have maybe heard the things of the gospel, maybe you even believe some of them, that it has not yet penetrated your soul the reality of what it means that God loves you and that Jesus has died for you. Whatever the diagnosis, the solution is the same. You and I and all of us need more deeply to be aware of and convinced of the love of Christ Jesus. If you were here this last week, do you remember what Jesus says? I am standing at the door and knocking. And if anyone would open their door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It is an invitation saying, I want to convince you of my love. I want to dine with you. I want you to know how much I love you. That's what he's saying. And so if this morning you find yourself concerned about where you are, I would encourage you, in a few minutes' time, we always pray after the sermon, right? To take that time and just say, Lord, would you please help me to know the love of Christ more deeply? Please change me through the love. Melt my hard heart. It is cold. Warm it with the knowledge of your love so that I might find myself being able to love the people that I know that you call me to love. And for all of us, let me encourage us to do two other things as we are trying to respond to this really sobering passage. First, Jesus signals to us here a disconnect that we should not have. We should not think it's even possible that we can love him and not love his people. And the way that we start seeing it more clearly is the more that we realize how much Jesus loves not just us, but all of us. And so, in a few minutes, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be inviting people to come forward, because it's that time of the, you know, it's that week that we do that. And I want you to understand, those people who are beside you and behind you and in front of you, they're not a distraction. They're part of the way it's been designed. I want you to pay attention and recognize not just Jesus has died for you, but look around and see just how much Jesus loves each one of us. Because this is his family. And finally, let me encourage also you to do one other thing. Because I have learned that even as God creates in us a love, there is a way that we can either nourish that love, or there is a way that we can kind of keep it from growing. And so let me encourage you this week to think, what is one way that I can show love to Jesus? What is one way that I can show love to his family. I, I want to invite you to spend time thinking through something that you can do in showing love and kindness to a fellow brother or sister in need, whether it's someone in Trinity or someone outside, whether it's, it's praying for them because you know that they're in a difficult time. Maybe sending a note. 
Maybe doing something more tangible. Maybe it's something related to the, the, the churches in Haiti that you want to do something about. What is one way that you can help nourish this love that God has given you so that more and more you can show the love of Christ to Christ as you love his family? Jesus wants us to be ready, and he tells us this incredibly sobering story to focus us, to help us to remember who we are called to be, who we are in Christ Jesus. And so I invite us even now, as we have been listening and as we've been trying to hear what God has to say to us, to spend some time in silence, spend some time reflecting, and then as as we see fit, maybe it's this moment of just saying, Lord Jesus, please help me. I need to know your love. And maybe it's confession. And then I'll lead us in prayer in a couple of minutes. So would you please join with me in silent prayer? Father, you know exactly where each one of us is right now, and you know that these are are frightening words. And I pray for us that these would not be words that frighten us to despair, but instead would move us more and more to cling to you. Father, even as we become aware of our own selfishness, we pray as we confess our inadequacy that you would draw us closer to yourself that you would convince us more deeply of your love and your forgiveness, that more and more we would experience the reality that we are part of your family in such a way that would more and more enable us to treat each other like your family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the good news of the gospel from 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thanks be to God.